Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. All my intentions. Anita Marks with you on this uh, Sunday afternoon. Usually we like to call it Sunday fun day. Um, but... Uh, I know it just has not been a, a, a fun few days for a number of us, uh, and I'm I'm sorry about that. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six is the phone number. That's how you get on board. Joining me now is a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Nicholas Morrissey, um, associate professor of surgery at Columbia. Nick, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks, Anita. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for uh, for for coming back on board. I really do appreciate. I really do appreciate your time, and and our listeners uh, do appreciate you as well. So, um, all right. Well, well, I mean, let's 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 dive into it um, in regard to, you know, I I know you were on about two weeks ago. That conversation obviously has changed in in, in regard to where we are right now, New York and New Jersey dealing with the coronavirus. um, You know, your your thoughts on on where we are right now and, and what a number of us can expect in the next few days, few weeks. Well, interestingly, I think it was last Saturday when we sat down and we were at 76 cases in New York State confirmed. Um, And today, eight days later, we're at 613. And New York City has surpassed Westchester with the higher number of cases. New York City is at 269 as of uh, yesterday. So it's great. It's it's being detected uh, more rapidly. I think we're up to something like um, uh, how many deaths? Well, in the United States, it's 2952. For folks that are interested, and not to become too obsessed with this, but Johns Hopkins uh, has a website which has a map of the entire uh, planet and all of the different cases that have been confirmed. And it sort of updates every couple of hours. And U.S. right now is... 2952. When I went to sleep last night, it was around 26 something. So, 200 or so more cases detected overnight in the United States. So it's happening uh, more quickly. It's being detected more, uh, more frequently. All right, but in regard to those numbers, because not everybody is is able to get tested. Um, so, w- what I'm reading is that for every one person that is positive it's it's times 10 is is there truth to that in regard to um the percentage of people because not everybody is being tested so you you know you want to assume that there are more people that are infected but we don't have those accurate numbers because we don't have enough tests yeah you know it is there's a big accuracy issue you're right and especially in the united states where testing rates have been quite low i was just looking at a paper that looked at singapore when singapore found out about this um, back in January, they started this really aggressive testing program. And this article suggested that, that at the least, the actual rates are about three times higher than what the detected uh, rates are based on testing. And, you know, you can imagine that in the U.S. where testing rates are lower, it's probably higher than that. So you may be right. It may be as high as 10. It may be higher than that, but it may be somewhere between three times and tenfold. So there are definitely a lot more cases out there than have been diagnosed at this point. 
Again, Dr. Uh, Morrissey joining us here. If you have questions for him, by all means, this is a, a big reason why I booked him for the show this morning, 800-919-3776, because he's a dear friend of mine and I can text him anytime. Um, and I do. <laughs> um, so bring us, bring us kind of more in the know in regard to, um, you know, how, how long this, the coronavirus, like, how long does it last on surfaces? Like, I'm hearing like 24 hours on cardboard. Uh, two to three on plastic and stainless steel. Um, is it airborne yet? Is it not? Kind of give, give us those facts. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting point because a lot of the fear comes from the unknown, right? So if you touch something that has the virus on it, will you get it? So viruses tend to. So the main transmission for this is through droplets from respiratory secretions, like cough, sneeze, and things like that. And that's the main pathway of transmission. On a surface, a virus can stay viable for, you know, indeterminate amount of time. Obviously, the longer the duration of time between someone touching a surface and another person touching it, the longer the duration, the less likely the virus is to stay alive. So we don't know the exact number of hours, but as the rule of thumb for all situations with this virus is to try to maximize your physical distance as well as your temporal or time distance between contact with potential carriers. And that's the whole concept behind this, what they call social distancing. And, and you know, you and I talked last week, we like to go to spin classes at SoulCycle. I don't know if you noticed this week, but they are, all, they are actually going to every other bike instead of every, you know, they're only filling up um, odd-numbered bikes. And I wonder if it's only a matter of time before they just stop the classes altogether. Yeah, I have stopped going myself. Yeah, I think a lot of people have. Um, you know, you, you talk about social distancing and I, I've really, I've changed my life. And again, I, I opened up the show and I said, like, I'm, I'm probably, I'm on that spectrum. I'm, I'm way out there, right? I'm, I'm the really concerned one. Um, I, I'm, I don't go out. I, and, and somebody who never cooks myself, I'm, I'm always eating out. I haven't and, and I don't plan to. Um, I'm, I'm not doing Uber or Lyft anymore. I'm not doing public transportation. Um, but, but last night, um, I'm, I'm, I'm walking home. I had taken my dogs out for a walk. I am doing that. And I'm walking home and like bars and restaurants are thriving. There's a ton of, there's a ton of people that are still occupying restaurants and, and social areas and, and they're sitting in close proximity to one another. And what, why do you think that is? Why do you think that there is a large number of people here in New York City, and I would imagine across the country, that are not abiding to the social distance request from our government? I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. There's there's this overlying idea that, um, well, it's such a mild type of an infection for most people, so therefore, you know, what's the big deal? I don't think that's the main issue, but as you have said before, you're not so much worried about you or me, but you're worried about if it if it's in your system and you you know you're around somebody who's older or sicker and they get it, then you're subjecting them to a potentially a, a horrible outcome. So I think that there may be a little bit of a disconnect. There's a, there's a desire among people when there's a tragedy to kind of have life carry on the way it used to, um, and so I think there's a little bit of that at work as well. Most restaurants in New York City have been, you know, if you look, the occupancy rates are way down. Um, and so people are, are taking 
some of that advice, but I, I don't think it's really hit home um, strongly about how beneficial it can be to stay away in terms of this new concept that's coming out in the last couple of days, which you'll hear a lot about, called flattening the curve. I don't know if you've heard that, but basically the curve of infection, if you have a really huge spike um, you know, in a short period of time, you will overwhelm the medical system and a lot more people will die. This is what happened in Italy. That's why their mortality rate is so low. The, the cases spiked so quickly that the ICUs, the hospitals, couldn't handle them. Well, the thing about social distancing and staying away from groups is that you can slow the spread. You may still get a large number of cases, but the, the number of cases at any one time won't overwhelm the healthcare system. And that's the key thing that we should be focusing on right now is this idea of flattening the curve. So that's why it's better for people to stay away from those places. Uh, Dr. Nick Morrissey joining us here at 98.70 SP. And we're going to take a quick break. Nick, if it's okay, I'd like for you to hold on and and, and marinate in this for a second because I I really do think that, you know, there are three NBA players that currently have been confirmed in regard to the coronavirus, okay? Rudy Gobert was the first and then Donovan Donovan Mitchell. And both of them played for the Jazz and just recently – Pistons forward Christian Wood, who's 24 years old. Donovan Donovan Mitchell um, posted a video on Instagram, uh, and and he just he looked fine, and he said, "I'm feeling fine. I feel great. I'm just bored, and I'm quarantined. But I just want to let everybody know that I'm fine." Um, and I, I'm going to play that clip for everybody when we get back. But I, I'm I'm really curious to get your thoughts on. In regard to like he doesn't even have the symptoms. It doesn't sound like or he's not communicating that he even has the symptoms of a sore throat or a dry cough or a fever. So I'm I'm curious. I want to get your thoughts on that. And I truly believe that it's those videos that you have a a, a large majority of, of our younger population going, oh, look, he's gotten he's fine. So. I'm 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 not going to readjust my lifestyle. You're listening to Anita Marks on ninety eight point seven ESPN. What's up, everybody? Donovan Mitchell here. Just want to say thank you guys so much for your continued support, man. It means a lot to me. Uh, I feel feel fine. Things are going well. I'm just taking the uh, proper precautions. You know, as was told to me by the health authorities, I got to stay in isolation. So solo in here playing video games all day and um can't wait to get back out there on the floor man play in front of the best fans in the world um really miss playing in front of you guys and um i'll see you guys soon anita marks with you on this uh, sunday morning uh dr nicholas morrissey is joining me associate professor of surgery um at columbia and nick that was donovan mitchell and as you can see he posted that video no cough no fever um, looks perfectly fine. Board playing video games. Can't wait to get back on the court. And so, and it's great that he released that video because I think it, it, it calms our fears. But at the same time, I, I think that there are a number of young people that are not listening to the social distance uh, request from our government and saying, well, uh, he, he, he's not like he has it and he's fine. If I get it, I'll be fine. Yeah, that's a so. There's an important um, uh, second part to these uh, messages that the people who are in high-profile positions should be sending out, which is that I may be doing fine, but that's not always the case. And there's recent data that suggests that 
in a, in a sort of in the range of the 40 to 50-year-old, there's a high rate of um, serious lung injury uh, and, you know, worse um, clinical uh, outcomes. So this idea that just because you're young and healthy, you're going to skate through this is is not something we should just bank on completely. So um, because that's the kind of attitude that leads to, um, let's say, not reckless, but sort of less careful behavior, which can lead to contact with people who have the virus and then you know, increasing the number of people who have it and who get sick from it. So really the message should also be have a lot of followers who have a, who are influencers, so to speak. Follow these guidelines and do it strictly, and then you're more likely to help help the country to avoid turning into a situation like in Italy, which is which is really a disaster. Um, I, I've got a number of people who who want to uh, chime in and, and and also have questions for you, Nick, and I'm going to get them through. Matthew, Artie, Ned, hang tight. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. But uh, De Blasio just spoke to CNN. I just got a text message from a friend of mine who just watched, and I, I know one of the biggest concerns right now is that the fact that uh, that New York is keeping their school system open. And when asked about it, he says he's keeping the New York school system open not just because of the food issue. Um. He said he's he's he needs for the adult supervision of the children during the day, especially teenagers, um, as their need for healthcare workers with the kids to be able to get to work. He's worried that if he shuts down the system, that it would be closed for at least the remainder of the school year and maybe the calendar year. Um, he's also saying that there's a chance that uh, we'd be dealing with this 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 coronavirus for the next six months. So he's saying it's not just the, the that you've got a number of homeless kids that. Um, are fed through the school system, but he's worried that all the healthcare uh, folk who have kids in the school system will not be able to go to the hospitals and and whatnot and and help with assisting the medical staff with the coronavirus. Yeah, so you know, I have a lot of concerns about that. You know, my my sons um, James and Andrew are freshmen in New York City public high schools, and. Um, you know, one goes to Bronx Science, other goes to Brooklyn Tech. They're very large schools, um, and there's been some scares. And I feel like other municipalities are are closing down the schools. And I think the reasons that he's putting out there for this are are they're they're ill-founded. I feel like he should be following the lead of other large municipalities and closing the schools because if social distancing is important for us, then it's got to be important for school-age kids as well, and there's, you know, those schools are crowded, there's a lot of kids there, and if somebody has it, it's going to transmit rather quickly. Now, we, we've talked about whether it affects young people as much as older people, but, you know, not so much because they're young and healthy, but the same thing still applies. They get it, and they can get sick from it, and, um, you know, the fact is, what do I do with my kids if they're not canceling the school? Do I not send them uh, and then run the risk of them not keeping up with their with their peers. Uh, so, so there's been some letters coming out from the parents' associations from our high schools to the mayor, imploring him to to follow suit. Um, you know, we can deal with the absences now. What we're not going to be able to deal with is the huge numbers of potential cases that come out of like keeping you know large numbers of students uh, sequestered together for long periods of time. So I think he should he should do it. 
Let's go to the phone lines and uh, just in, in regard to that topic, I'm bringing in Artie from Brooklyn. Artie, welcome. You're on with uh, Dr. Morrissey. Hey, Nita, how are you? I, I, I wish we were talking about Jamal Adams, but um, I'm a I'm a teacher in the in the public school system, and I have that same concern. And I think my attitude is that if I'm going to school and working, I'm going to have just as much chance of not better than anyone else. So I'm not going to like. Although I'm going to try to be careful and stuff like that, my main concern actually is my mother-in-law. She's like in her 80s, so it, it kills me that I can't. Like we want to have it for the house, but I said, what about if I'm like this guy in the NBA that's carrying it? I'm playing golf and I'm going to go play football and stuff like that, and I'm going to be carrying it around. And I just don't understand the consistencies of like I understand how different poly- New York City could have a different policy than Boston, but with something like this where it's got to be universal. I agree with the doctor. And I'm saying to myself, I see people in New Rochelle getting tested. Why is New Rochelle has, like, people that you can just drive through? My concern is, do I have it, right? But I can't. They, they don't tell me you can go to the hospital, you go to the doctor, because you're going you're gonna to clog up everybody. So wh- what do we do? Why is somebody else getting this tested and we can't? Why is somebody else getting not going to work and we can't? They should shut down everything and be consistent. Shut down the, like, the trains, everything like that, and try to do, you know, what the doctor suggested as far as, like, giving time. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Thank, thank you. Safe. Thank you, Artie. You too. Nick? He makes a really good point. I mean, why, why are New York City public schools any different than New York City restaurants or New York City museums or the, or the Metropolitan Opera House? I mean, there's, there's no difference. And his point is well taken about we, we're living in a – state right now where we can't know if we're carrying, if we're not having symptoms, because the testing is not, and it, it may not be appropriate to just test everybody, but that means that there are people walking around who may not have symptoms who may be carrying it. And for him to have a, a mother-in-law at home who's older and may be sick and to be at a school with a few thousand kids, someone whose parents may have had it and bring it home, that could be a really devastating vectoring of the disease. So these are all really good points that people are making. Let's go to Bill in Queens. Bill, welcome welcome in. Take my call, Nita. And I, I find that statement by the mayor very insulting. And I think that you're an educated woman, the doctor you have on the phone, very educated. You spend a lot of money on your education. You have teachers, but it's required in New York State to have a master's degree. They spent a ton of money on education. So now they're babysitters. That's the problem in society. That, like, if you have a kid, it's your responsibility. All that's your responsibility, taking care of that kid. So now the mayor is saying, well, we have to watch these kids because their parents aren't capable. What are you going to do when the teachers get sick? What, what are we going to do then? Yeah, I think that's going to be this. From the sounds of it, this is going to be an issue that's really going to crescendo over the next several hours. I think that one of the things he said on the, on the news yesterday was that um, – you have 400,000 teenage kids in the New York City public school system. What are they going to do if they're left, you know, to their own thing? But they should be instituting, you know, online classes like everybody else does, and the kids should be required to do it. And, and you know, I, I have more faith in our kids to a large extent. And, and, yeah, I worry about the teachers who are, you know, on the front lines of all this. You know, we, our, our hospital, uh, as you know, Anita, we canceled uh, elective surgeries. We're, we're only doing things that are... Urgent. Last week when I was on, somebody called in that they were having orthopedic surgery by our place, and he asked what would happen. And I said, you know, as things progress, we'll make decisions. And sure enough, as things got to the point where we are now, the institutions have made very responsible decisions. 
Um, I'm hoping that the school system will follow suit. Nick, we, we've got a, a number of people wanting to chime in, if it's okay with you, if I sure. can just keep you on for just one more yeah. segment. Cause Whatever I, you I, need. Because I, I would like to get everybody on. Ned, Kenny, Doug, hang tight. You guys will be first up, 800-919-3776. Anita Marks with you on the Sunday afternoon here on 98.7 ESPN. I know it's a sports talk radio show, uh, but I thought it would be important and, uh, and, and beneficial for a number of our listeners to have the ability to speak one-on-one with, uh, in my opinion, not just because he's my friend, but I think one of the best uh, doctors here in New York City. Nick, I appreciate your time. Hang tight. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. I'm the bad guy. Duh. for this next stretch of time, you know, through this 30-day period where, you know, they're going to reevaluate closer to the end. Um, Does that mean they're going to open practice facilities for workouts? Will there be organized practices? Those are all things that the league is going to give direction on. Uh, But the one thing that they have really stressed to the players is, you know, they, they want to try to control the environment, the conditions, where the players physically are during this time. That's Woj. Uh, as we know, NBA season uh, postponed uh, for 30 days. Uh, MLB, obviously, the start of MLB, NHL, all leagues across uh, the country um, on hold right now. By the way, this portion of the show brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer, the purest hard seltzer in the world, the perfect blend of seltzer water, 5% alcohol, a hint of fruit with only 100 calories, all natural flavors, and low carbs. Please drink responsibly. Uh, Dr. Nick Morrissey joining us here on 98.7 ESPN and a ton of calls. So I want to try to get everybody on. Uh, so let's, let's, let's roll through those. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Doug in Edison. Doug, you're up. Hello. Hi, Doug. Welcome in. Hey, Anita. Huge fan of the show. Um, you know, I just want to say real quick, I learned about, you know, this year I learned about, um, teaming up and down bets. Uh, Dividends. So, <laughs> thanks for that. Thank you. Um, so, my so my question for Doctor Nick is: um, so, my wife and I are expecting our girl in June, and I haven't done a ton of research on like the effects with like pregnancies and if there's any risks. So, I just want to see what the deal with that is because we were in the city last weekend, and uh, I know there's a lot of stuff going on. So, just out of precaution, if there's anything you've heard or know of. That's a really good question. I, there's not a lot of data, as far as I've seen, about, you know, in pregnancy. Uh, there are, you know, evidence from other viral infections that transmission during pregnancy can lead to uh, birth defects. But that's usually in the earlier trimesters. I think with this kind of a situation, the best scenario is to um, assume that uh, there can be a problem and just do your best to um, uh, keep your you know, make sure your wife is away from large groups. And, you know, even if that means, you know, towards the end of the pregnancy, if you're in the later um, trimester, just, you know, stay home and avoid work, avoid, uh, you know, large gatherings for sure. So there's an unknown there, and it would be um, really the best case would be to completely limit uh, contact, especially with people who may, you know, have been exposed. Just like with any other person, um, but with an with a understanding that this could be a special situation where, you know, viral transmission to a fetus can be, we don't know, but it can be devastating. 
you know, Nick, there's so many unknowns here. Like, for example, right. I was I was reading uh, I was reading last night that uh, there was uh, a gentleman in China who was uh, diagnosed, um, recovered, and then uh, and then showed signs again. Um, yeah. So it, so 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 the virus uh, reoccurred, and uh, and and he had health issues a second time. So and, and I know he was kind of an outlier. We're not hearing a lot of that, but I, I, you know, there's just there's there's a lot of unknowns here. Yeah, there have been some descriptions of people sort of recovering and then relapsing. Um, those have been in those have been cases in China, um, and uh, so we we don't know if you can get reinfected and get sick, or whether it's latent and then recur. You know, it becomes more you know, reactive again, but it's, without a doubt, there's a potential for, you know, recurrent uh, uh, clinical situations. Let's go to Ned in Brooklyn. Ned, welcome in. Yes, hi, welcome in. Anita, thank you so much for having this. I appreciate it. Uh, I've listened to you over the years. I enjoy you uh, very much. Thank um, you. And I want to say um, I'm a knucklehead from the outer boroughs, uh, Doc. Um, I, I do have a master's degree, but I'm basically a knucklehead from the outer boroughs. So I'm worried about my aunts and uncles, and uh, I had private, previously health uh, problems, uh, perforated bowel peritonitis. I had about five operations. So I decided when my mother got sick because I was an actor to drive a cab, so I've been doing that up to last week. And uh, I, I lost weight, 100 pounds, and now I gained it back. And all of a sudden, I'm listening to Mayor de Blasio on NPR because I listen to the radio, obviously, 14 hours a day. Um, and uh, he said people over 50. And then they started saying, well, heart disease. And then like a knucklehead, I go, well, does that mean if I have high blood pressure? And then all of a sudden, I started freaking out because when I looked in the Wuhan, half the deaths were hypertension. So I guess my simple question is, uh, how much danger am I in, Doc? I guess uh, I'm on lisinopril and um, just a little bit uh, scared. So I was just wondering if you can answer that. And uh, God bless everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. Yeah, so there's another interesting situation, right? Because his lifestyle, his his livelihood depends on, you know, being able to drive a cab. And um, what does he do, having had you know significant issues in the past? Um, hypertension, in and of itself, shouldn't put you at higher risk for having a bad outcome, especially if it's controlled. Most importantly, is is we continue to take our medications and keep the blood pressure under control. Um, perhaps. More of an issue would be uh, exposure from his, you know, from his occupation, um, and that's something that's real for the folks who make a living out of, you know, driving us around the city all the time. Uh, I know you said you don't take Ubers or taxis anymore, um, and I think that that may be a wise thing to do. I still do take taxis uh, occasionally. I was taking a train on Friday. I'm starting to rethink that, but. Um, you know, I think in his case, the and then thinking about his older relatives, that's the other thing. I mean, if he's encountering so many people a day in his job, and who knows if one of them's carrying, and then he brings it home, it's this thing that we all face if we have people in our lives who are potentially more at risk for a bad outcome. So I can't, you know, can't say what his risk is. It's probably slightly higher to have a to have an adverse, uh, you know. To be more sick than others, but not so much so. Let's go to Matt in Morristown. Matt, you're up. Hey, good morning, uh, Anita. Good morning, Dr. Nick. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, Dr. Nick, uh, I just wanted to ask you about the the point of care testing. Is it that, or is it this, uh, just another type of 
uh, type of test? And if so, uh, what specifically are these players taking in terms of the test? And what type of false positives or, you know, uh, are how accurate are these tests? And thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Yeah, so, you, I mean, in reference to, I think, the, the teams that were – um, the NBA teams that were involved with the players who were um, were positive were all tested. The testing that's done right now is um, is done on usually on respiratory secretions, and it's you know using a DNA or a, what's called a reverse transcriptase, and it's pretty it's very accurate for identifying this particular strain of the virus. So. You know, the, I think the big question is the accuracy is very high, but the availability remains somewhat low, and you still have to go through channels, uh, which involve describing symptoms in order to get approved to have a test. I'm not sure what numbers we're up to now, but it's more than we were last week, but it's still not where we have to be in terms of providing testing. Let's go to uh, Kenny in Patterson. Kenny, welcome. Hey, Anita. How are you? Good morning. Good morning to you. Dr. Nick, I'm wondering, I've been watching all, like everybody else, all day, every day. I'm a retired firefighter in Jersey, and uh, my son's now a firefighter. He just started a couple weeks ago, and he's also an EMT. And today he called me 6 o'clock in the morning. His shift started at 7, and he didn't go in because he's not feeling good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just wondering... With all that's going on, we have a hospital here where I live in Patterson that a doctor is now infected, a 70-year-old doctor, and it seems to me like they're not doing enough for the EMTs and the first responders. How come they're not being, I don't mean selected first, but how come they're not being checked? It being they're, they're on the front line. These guys are going out picking up sick people all day long, and I'm just wondering why they don't have not first preference but you know something of that sort where they could be tested because if they're going out picking up all the sick people and going to the hospital and dropping them off this is i think a major problem yeah you know that's a that's a really uh, excellent point and you know hopefully um what your son's dealing with will be mild and not positive but you're right i mean if people are and that's one of the things about you know the recommendations in terms of going to the emergency room and getting tested and things like that. You know, obviously people who are very sick need to go to the emergency room, and we need our EMTs to be able to take them. Uh, I would suspect that when widespread testing is more available, that these first responders, police, firefighters, EMTs, will be some of the first and should be some of the first to be tested because with the understanding that they're going to be exposing um, other folks to potential harm if they are carrying it and are not symptomatic. But the idea about, you know, go, you know, we say always go to the emergency, you know, go to the emergency room and call ahead if you think you may have it and, and to get a test. But the, probably the best approach right now for mild symptoms is to contact your physician or this, you know, the New York State Department of Health and go through the channels that way. Because I think the emergency rooms are, which are already very crowded in New York, have the potential to be overrun. I'm not saying don't go because if people who are really sick really should go, but if symptoms are mild, it may be better to speak to your doctor first and then go through the, you know, the triage uh, maneuvers to get tested.
but uh, certainly what he said about testing first responders makes perfect sense. Nick, um, really quick, before I let you go, I, I do have a few people who uh, who sent me some questions on Twitter that I, yeah. I, I want to throw your way. Number one, um, if you are a can- cancer patient and you're currently going through chemotherapy, um, what should you do? Should you know, and, and, and what can what can cancer patients who are in the middle of chemotherapy, uh, what can they what should they expect? So because of the medication itself and the cancer, their immune immune systems are compromised. Um, the you know the recommendations should be that you speak with their oncologist and you know in general they don't want to interrupt their treatment for sure, um, but see if the institution has ways of ensuring that the treatment is being administered in a place where there's isolation and where you can be separated from other patients. I think most cancer centers have that already because with the understanding that patients undergoing chemo are already immunocompromised. So that's already a system in place. But, you know, you'd hate to see um, folks interrupting their treatment uh, because of potential risk of you know, coronavirus infection, but it should, and I, I think every institution is addressing this uh, with their chemotherapy patients. All right. Um, before I let you go, just uh, some final thoughts, some final advice for a number of our listeners. Well, I think, you know, your listeners and the people, I think the general public has demonstrated incredible knowledge and desire to take this thing on and make sure we get through this okay. And I'm impressed with with people in all walks of life that I come across on a daily basis and how, how, um, how much they've learned about it and how savvy they are about how to manage it. And I think this, just think about this concept, and I, keep, I said it before, this flattening the curve, and, and it's been in a number of publications over the last few days. And the reason why we're going to these extreme measures to limit exposure and to limit contact with people is to flatten that curve so that maybe six months from now, somebody will say, you know what, they said this was going to be something huge, and look, it didn't turn out to be so huge. The reason they're going to be saying that is because people did the right thing and followed the regulations. A lot of the stuff right now that you're doing that that we're recommending people do seem drastic because there's not like people dying left and right, but that's the point. We're doing it so that there aren't people dying left and right. Nick, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I really do appreciate you, Dr. Nicholas Morrissey, um, Associate Professor of Surgery at Columbia. Why don't you throw out your Twitter handle? If there's folks out there who we were not able to answer their questions, maybe they can uh, contact you directly through social media. Yeah, I think, what's the new one? Uh, (laughs) I think it's at Dr. Nick Morrissey, at Nick Morrissey, MD. There you go. It's my new one. Okay, so Nick N-I-C-K-M-O-R-R-I-S-S-E-Y-M-D. Right, so two R's, two two S's. Nick right. Morrissey, M-O-R-R-I-S-S-E-Y-M-D. So um, if we did not uh, get to your questions, I, I, I apologize, but you could contact Dr. Nick on uh, on social media. Nick, thank you so much. Thanks, Anita. You got Good it. Day. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN.